Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on Earth. You've got a few short years here on Earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna save, 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 so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that, and you're thinking, oh man, am I gonna get to travel? Am I gonna eat well? Am I gonna do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about th- what about all this stuff? It's just it's crazy to me because because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm gonna exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible? enjoying myself as much as I can. Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. Well, let's make the most of the red part, okay? I'm glad you guys came today. This is a a very special uh, day at Grace. We're going to go on a field trip. I don't think we've ever had field trips here. Not to the Buttercross Bakery. I would like to do that, but someplace even better still. Before we go there, I want, to, I want you to understand that this video sets up what we do at, at this church. We're, we're all trying to live for eternity. We want to make uh, life choices that reflect the uh, sincere conviction that our souls are eternal, that um, the dignity of man is given free will to choose, and his choices have eternal consequences. And so we get together and we're... And, and we learn, we want, we want to make sure we do this one part right, the red part right. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us to miss the one and only life that we get to live. And so if you look at his life, uh, you'll see that he teaches quite often about, about the red part. But mostly he teaches about how the red part spills into eternity. And when we get to face God and enjoy the choices that we make. If you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that he teaches, you know, his primary section of teaching is often called the um, Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Hill. Uh, and he does it multiple occasions, little different ven- uh, versions, you'll, you'll see that. In Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel to the Jewish people, you'll find that in chapters 5 through 7. Three chapters filled with the way, what really matters for eternity and, and, and how to live your life in such a way so that you won't have regret. And when he finishes the sermon in Matthew, you know, chapters 5 through 7, here's, here's what happens with the audience. Here's how they respond to it. And when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the other teachers of the law had taught. 
And, and the word amazed there is, um, is not like the word wow, okay? It's more like shock or awestruck. They, they are staggered. And interestingly, the, the, uh, the tense of that word is, you, is to project the idea that they kept having this staggering, awesome, you know, amazement. It continued into their, their lives as they went. He taught something else. And, and it, by the way, please note that it also doesn't say just a few people in the crowd. The crowds were continually feeling amazed, awestruck by his teachings. And, and, and here's why. And this is, by the way, why what we, do, what we try to do at Grace as, mo- as much as we possibly can. We try to emulate his teaching, his, his lesson. And what, what made the people then... Uh, just startled, and what people still today are struck by when, he, when he, his lessons are taught is that he teaches a different kind of spiritual life, a different, I mean, not a different like degree, but a whole different kind, and he says, you have to apply this, you have to practice this different kind of spiritual life so that you won't have regret, so that you'll live, so that your red line, the red part of your rope will count. Look how he says this in chapter 7, right? This is right before those previous. This is, these are the last things before everybody says they're amazed. 24 says, therefore, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, there's the key, puts them into practice. He's like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. And when the rains come down, we can relate to this. And when the rains come down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat up against the house, it didn't fall because his foundation was on rock. He, he lived, the red part of his existence, his soul's existence, was lived with wisdom, with the values that Jesus was teaching in the previous chapters. But, but he says, listen, there's another way to choose. There's another way to live. Verse 26 says, but if anyone hears my words, okay, so everybody's hearing the words, let that be obvious, but does not put them into practice. He's like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. Looks like, looks like the exact same house. But things are different when the rains come down, right, and the streams rose and the winds beat and um, blew and beat up against the house that fell down and crashed. Jesus is talking about a different kind of spiritual life. And if a person practices ones, they have no regrets and they can, they can with, withstand difficult times in life, storms of life, right? And the song we sang, it is well with my soul. When, how's that first verse start, right? When the seas are trembling, my soul has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Jesus teaches to live in a way so that when your world is falling apart, your soul knows you're well with God. And um, so th- these two houses at the end of this serve as a contrast of, 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 and a summary of the three chapters that are, that are going into this. And, and the reason he, they say he teaches like no other because he has authority is because he's talking about not changing conduct throughout these teachings, he's talking about a whole different paradigm of living. He's not talking about, again, two people looking on the outside very similar like these two houses. He's saying underneath, like the, what, the reason people do things and what motivates people in what they do is what Jesus talks about. And, and that was like no one else. He, let this to be, make sure you understand when Jesus is teaching this audience, it's a Jewish audience, he's, he's not comparing and cra- contrasting, you know, bad people and bad life choices with good people and good life choices. 
He's comparing two people that are, they on the outside are morally equivalent. They're, 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 they're both moral. And so when he talks about prayer, when Jesus talks in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going so much deeper. He's not saying, oh, don't be like those people that don't pray. That's not his audience. He's saying, don't pray like those people pray. You've got to pray in a different way. And, and then Jesus, you can see this in, in the Sermons on the Mount. He's, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Okay, let's go. You know, he, he, um, it says, thou shalt not murder. But no one in his audience is, is, is guilty of murder. They're all nonviolent people. He's saying, what's in your soul? What spills out when you get bumped, right? You know, the, par- the proverb, what spills out when you get bumped? When, when you, when, because that's what's in your soul. And so he says, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, modern translation, right? If somebody cuts you off in traffic, road rage isn't about road, it's about rage. And, and so when someone does something minor to you and bumps you, what spills out? Wrath, you fool. That's the same heart as a murderer, he says. That, and he's teaching, he's teaching dim, deeper things. When he talks about adultery, he says, you know, y'all shall not commit adultery. And I'm sure most of the people are thinking, awesome, you know, I haven't done that. And he's, no, what's in your soul, he's saying. Because when you, when you look at another person and, and, you, and you stare at them as something that doesn't belong to you to be used for your own selfish pleasure, what does that say about your soul? You know, what, what, when you get bumped, what spills out? Selfish, passionful lust. Because another human being is meant to be gazed upon and honored as a fellow human being. And suffering reveals this. The bumping reveals this. And so when the, right, when the winds come and the rain comes and the floodwaters come up, you're going to see these two identical houses. And one of them has drilled down and set their piers on stone. And the other one has not. When Jesus teaches, and when we try to teach here, is he's not contrasting bad versus good or good versus evil. He's, he's contrasting religious people versus real Christianity. Because, because in his audience, he's talking about both people praying, everybody's doing the Ten Commandments, but he's saying, what's motivating people? What's inside? Right? Break my heart. And this is what makes his teaching so amazing. That's what makes people step back and say, for, for a considerable amount of time, that what they've left, it's been weeks, and they say, wow, <laughs> what Jesus said is still, is, is still wrestling in my soul. You look at it when, he's, when he talks about giving and being generous to other people. Um, he says in chapter 6, verse 2, this is in the sermon as well. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, that's the church, and in the streets to be honored by others. I tell you, you've received all your reward in full. You've lived your little red life and you've chosen to be you know, generous in, in your red life so that everybody inside the red can praise you. Remember last week I was talking about it's, it's very common now to even churches they, they can't do much without first calling, you know, a press crew. Why? Why is there a need to let other people know that you're doing good? Why, why is it so difficult to do good anonymously? Because there's something very deep inside of us that wants to feel 
uh, more, that we're, that we're worth something, that we want to assure ourselves that we have uh, value, that we're uh, weighty, that we're a good person. But there's an in, in, inward emptiness. Okay, that void is what causes religion. That's what causes you to do things on the outside, but not so much caring for the inside because the inside's empty. But he says, listen, if you, live, if you live your life the way I'm asking you to do it, practice these things, then you'll have inward overflow of, of honor, right, and innocence and power. And then you'll give, the next verses say, and, but then when you, when you give to the needy, do it this way. You know, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. Then your father who sees everything, there's nothing secret to him, you'll be rewarded for eternity. For eternity. This is radical teaching. This is why it's still radical today. It's, it's not unique, but it is, it's getting more and more unusual. It is so burdensome to be religious. Because you live your life doing things so that, not because of, but so that God will answer your prayers or God will like you, right? Or or, or God will uh, give you what you want or bless you. Or sometimes so that other people will like you or other people will think that you're a good person. Look, right? And Christianity says, no, it's a whole different kind of experience altogether, right? and, and oddly, if, if, if the inside is fixed, you'll do everything religious people will do and more. Jesus will say, it's a different tree. It's not bad fruit coming from a good tree. It's a, it's a good tree that produces good fruit. It, it's coming from the inside out. It's a fullness. Jesus is talking about a fullness that overflows. It's, this, it's an inner honor It's inner innocence that's a gift from God and then causes you to spill out and sure, yeah, do the good, the Ten Commandments and, you know, be a generous person and that sort of thing because your paradigm, the whole way of looking at life is you see that God sees you in your fullness and in your loveliness that he's given you, right? And he sees you as son or daughter, prince or princess, and that's just received only as a gift so that you can love others so that you can be a sacrificial person. So, so uh, how, does, how, does Je- how does this happen? That's not so much the theme of today's talk, but it, it, Jesus says this. Um, you, <laughs> you have to die. You have to die to get this. You can't work at this. You have to, you have to let go of self-righteousness or whatever is motivating you because your hands are so full of that that you can't hold the righteousness that's a gift from him. You have to give up. You have to drop attempts of righteousness. And by the way, that's sometimes why um, people that are far away from the Lord are better at becoming Christians and living the Christian life than a religious person. Because people that are far from the Lord, he says this, prostitutes and tax gatherers are closer to me than, than religious leaders because they have nothing to hold on to. And they're, most of them are wanting to drop some of these things. That's the lesson we teach at Grace. We teach Grace. Have you heard the name of our church? It's, for the record, it is not Grace 360. That's our website. <laughs> it's Grace Covenant Church. Grace means gift. It's, it literally means, it's the word gift. And, and it's, so it's, our church is called Gift Promise Church. 
It's the gift promise, church. And it's the promise that God would give us this gift of innocence. And he would give us honor. And he would give us power. And so we wouldn't have to manipulate and, and strive for these things. And this is an amazing message. This is the message we teach at this church. That's why we have on the side of the building grace. <laughs> Maybe some people will drive by and say, I'm tired of work. <laughs> I'm tired of working. This is not a church that says, you know, Jesus gave us a to-do list. We need to be busy and tired. There's a lot of churches that make you busy and tired, and, and you get a medal for that. <laughs> and so the, and this, this, this message that Jesus taught, it was amazing. And it caused amazement to continue in people's lives. And that's the, that's the message we try to emulate here. Grace. Promise. Of God doing things in your life. There's a few ministries at this church that actually um, set people up for when they're ready to quit. Okay, they're designed for the bump, right? You know, what, when you get bumped, what spills out? And, and so a lot of people can, can go along with their life being rather moral and sometimes even religious. And then, I don't know, maybe sometimes they get married and that, then some bumps happen and you realize, hey, what spilled out? Selfish anger, you know, something like that, right? Or a, one, two children sometimes can do that to you. Certainly three will. They break everything that you like. <laughs> and, and when you're tired of throwing tantrums, Right? When, you're, when you're exhausted enough to say your religion isn't working anymore, when you realize that there's something inside you that's broken because all this other stuff keeps spilling out because you constantly get bumped, then we have ministries here, for example, like Celebrate Recovery and Reengage. And those ministries are set up for people, Celebrate Recovery, Hurts, Habits, and Hangups, when people just say, I, I'm going to need help understanding how grace, promise from God can change me. And re-engages for people that, again, are in marriages where they, they come and they say, we've got to change, but we can't. And good works and hard work and, and religion isn't working anymore. I've got to learn to die so I can live. I have to learn to let go so I can hold on. Let me give you, here's some, here's some wonderful testimonies just from re-engage. I want to tell you more about that in just a minute, but here's some from re-engage. The reason we first started thinking about re-engage, we were talking to John Patterson, and um, the idea of a date night every Monday sounded pretty nice to us. We actually were interested in re-engage before we were even married, and really wanted to jump in, and we're excited to try it out as soon as we were married. When I first saw the advertisement for re-engage in the Sunday Bulletin, I had no reservations about going. I thought it would be a great opportunity to continue to work on our marriage and grow in our walk with Christ. For us, it was a time in our life with a lot of stress, and so we, we've been going through a lot of things, and we were talking even about counseling at that time in our marriage, and uh, re-engage was an opportunity for us with childcare to be able to just really connect with people that we knew were on the same page. We've gotten a little bit sloppy after five years of marriage about, you know, the rules of, of fighting and things like that. And so it's really helped um, me just kind of reframe and relearn those rules. The, the one thing that we learned from Reengage um, was really the, the value of having time together each week to uh, discuss our marriage. Uh, it gave us a safe place to do that outside of conflict. Through Reengage, we 
found that the investment of our time in scripture and conversation and prayer uh, was always going to spur on our love for God and for each other. Really, the relationships that we have developed, not only with the people that are in our group, but with our group leaders as well, um, those have been probably the most significant uh, things that uh, we have, we've taken away from it just because we've realized the importance of encouragement from other believers. One thing we got from Reengage was the tools necessary to communicate in marriage and uh, just having that safety to talk about, about anything. I just think that because they're, everybody comes from a different spot, I believe that there's some couples that had just have, you know, 45 years of marriage or 60 years of marriage that we can learn from. And then there's also like a couple that's been married a year or two that we can love on and give our 11 hmm. years of experience to. I guess my, our personal testimony to how fantastic it is and how much we enjoy it is that we would want to get out of the house on a Monday night in the pouring rain and not stay home in our pajamas, but be so excited to get out and, and go hang out with these other great couples, um, some who are struggling, some who aren't. You know, it's just such a wonderful blend of people and personalities, and it's great to live in community like that um, and, and just be surrounded by other believers who are speaking the gospel into our lives. Reengage is a ministry where people feel like they've been bumped a few times and there's a consistency of the toxicity of what spills out of their soul to say, I need to go somewhere with other people and hear about how I can die so I can live. Um, in the two and a half years we've had uh, Reengage, it's the only Reengage in Central Texas, there's been um, 130 couples, 260 if, that's, if I'm doing the math right, people have gone through. They get scored before and after, and the average improvement in, to, in their intimate life and in their spiritual life is a 35% increase because they're learning practice. When you practice these things that Jesus teaches, then you start realizing it's a different paradigm of life, and you start living the red part of your life that maximizes eternity. Today's application is going to be about generosity and about being generous. And let me just say that uh, to, to, be a health, to have a healthy soul, you're going to be generous. I wish somebody would have said these words to me a lot sooner. Quit fighting it. <laughs> you can, I mean, you can look at any spiritual leader, whether it's Buddha or Socrates or Jesus, and they'll all tell you, you have to be generous. That's, the, that's certainly one of the attributes of a healthy soul. So the sooner you get there, the sooner you can get healthy. And I'll just warn you that people that aren't generous, eventually they become golem. They, uh, that's the whole, honestly, that's one of Tolkien's points in that, that monster is that he, could, he, he became possessed by his possession. So let's just assume that, that you either hope to be generous or you already are generous. I'll tell you the hardest part about generosity is how to be strategic about it. Is, I mean, you know, right? because, uh, because being a moral agent and having um, the image of God says we need to make intelligent choices about how we invest our lives, our time and our talent and our treasures, and we need to do that strategically for things that matter for eternity. And so what I'd like to do in just a few seconds here is to tell you that, that what we're talking about at Grace is a very strategic eternal investment. If you looked at any other of your investments, you, you had some money and you talked to somebody, you wouldn't want to 
put money towards something that's losing, you know, you've probably done that, buy high and sold low, and you didn't want to do that again. You don't want to break even. That's good for nothing, so you want to buy low and sell high. I want to tell you something about buying low and selling high when it comes to ministry. Okay. This live oak building that we're talking about that's going in down the parking lot here, it is the most strategic building, I think, in Austin right now because it serves the whole city. Sure, it serves us. We're going to have two floors of children's ministry on Sunday morning, and then the youth ministry. There's 1,100 people, probably children and youth, going to be in there on any given week, and it's for future generations. But it serves the city. The building serves the city. When you, you, you have to be in this business to, to appreciate this. When you come here as a pastor, as a new senior pastor, someone will take you to lunch and say, this is Austin where pastors go to die. There, there is, this is a very difficult town to do ministry. Very difficult. I would say it is the single most difficult town to do ministry in the entire south. Okay? And, and when Melinda and I were looking for places to move, we were not going to move anywhere in the south except Austin. We would move to Boulder or maybe Fort Collins, but we didn't want to go in the south because it wasn't, there, wasn't enough, there wasn't enough cage fighting down there. But there was in Austin. And now it's gotten more complicated because real estate costs are so high. Within three miles of this facility, within three miles, a, a, a lot was sold, an eighth of an acre for a million dollars. It's too expensive to build churches in this town, but we already have the land. This is a, a strange town where the flavor of the town is independence. Independence is not God's design. We are designed to be relationally connected with each other. And, and this is a place that seems to be full of trying to get as much as you can and use as many people as possible. I mean, we'll do it a little different than other cities, but that's, you, can, you can feel that here. So when we look at the ministries of that facility, we say, how can we serve our city? If we were doing a citywide, what's a strategic place to put a church? It would be on this corner. What kind of building? It would be a lot like the Live Oak building. What kind of ministries like Reengage, where almost 35% of the people or 30% of the people that come don't even come to this church, and we don't care. They're from other, they're from other religions. We had two Mormon couples come and join us. I bet they heard some things about grace versus religion. In Celebrate Recovery, 80% of the people who come to Celebrate Recovery on our facility, at our facility, on this campus that you guys help you know, pay for, they, they don't go to Grace because we help other churches that can't afford a facility to do Celebrate Recovery. I'm going to tell you more about CR next week. It's amazing. But, but here's what I want you to consider doing. I want you to consider being generous and making a strategic investment in a, in a, in a building that houses ministry that changes lives for eternity, real lives, having real change. Now, if you weren't here two years ago, then you don't know kind of the roll-up to that and how it was strategic because this building was filling up. We needed more room and that. And I want you to go by the Welcome Center and pick up one of these. This is the long story. The short updated version of that is these are all over the foyer. These are the updated version of where we are right now and how our finances are coming in. But the next step for, the next step for this church, I think, is this. We need to build a parking lot across the street, and we need to pay off the debt for that building that's called the Live Oak Building, because that would give us a, a, an enormous amount of freedom in the, in the future decisions that we're going to make. And so this is what the leadership has kind of come together and thought about and prayed about, and that is let's, let's make a one-year pledge, 2016, to pay off as much of the debt as possible and put in a parking lot. 
Okay? And here's how you do the, you know, how does that work? If, if, you're, if you're Catholic or Baptist, you think, oh, we just go to the main office or the archdiocese. Okay, we're an independent church. And you remember the first time you found out you were independent? You remember how fun that was? Not, not the freedom part, the part when you found out that um, you're probably going to have to buy used tires. It's no one else has bought used tires. I loved, I loved my conversation about used tires. Like, so it's too dangerous for other people, but it's just right for me. You know? You know, and then you have to find, then you have to find a guy that will um, inspect your car with used tires, and it usually includes beer. Anyone else? Has anyone else had their car inspected and needed beer to make that happen? No, I'm serious. I want to know. Is it? No? Well, you guys, I remember one of my first experiences with independence is when I needed a new mattress, and I felt like it was an answer to prayer that I found it in a dumpster. And to this day, I am still allergic to mold, and it took me years to figure out it's because I was face down in a moldy mattress that was used and thrown away, it was so bad, for eight, seven, eight hours a day for four years. That's independence. If you want it, you have to pay for it. That's what we're talking about today. (laughs) This is a church, and this is a family, and here's what we're asking this independent group of people to do. Let's combine our resources Ask God, go some, there's a, there's a card, it's a commitment card that says Real Lives, Real Change. We're going to pass these out. We want you to have at least one of these. This one's going on my refrigerator, it's so pretty. And then I'm going to forget one, and then I'm going to have another one on the last day. But if you look at this card, what we're asking you to do is thoughtfully, prayerfully ask God about your investment in what may, could possibly be the most strategic investment in Central Texas. To pay off the debt and put in a parking lot so that this building can be maximized. Okay, for the, for the 12 months of 2016, what we want you to do is fill this card out. Hold on to it to now so because here's what's going to happen. On November 15th, we're going to have a, a mosaic worship service like we had similar to last Thanksgiving if you were here. But also it's combining with what we did uh, two years ago when we did the offertory for these, uh, the original building campaign. We'll have people come down as families if, if that's the case, but we're going to have everybody turn in a card. We want to hear, listen, listen to me. If you blacked out, come back. Come back. This is the part you must hear because this violates a lot, a lot, a lot of the rules with, when churches do this. We have added a box. If you look carefully on, the, on your card, we've added that box at the bottom that if you don't want to give, that's okay. And the reason we added this box is because we wanted every single person in this family called Grace to be able to walk down and put something in this thing because you're still family. And some of you are not in a financial place to be able to do that. Some of you are not in a spiritual place to be able to give sacrificially. And it's not overflowing. That's fine. That's good. That's good. But here's what we want. We want everybody to be part of something, something bigger than themselves. So for the next two weeks, this is going to happen November 15th. We want you to think about, pray about, consult your friends. How much could you possibly give towards something that's so beneficial in teaching that grace transforms in people's lives? That's what we want you to do. We're going to, we're going to have a very special um, a day today. We've ended church intentionally way early because we're going to do a tour of that building because while a picture's worth a thousand words, you should see this building. When you go and you look, we'll dismiss in just a few seconds, but when you go and you look, I want you to see how each floor is designed, first building designed for our ministries. And, 
and each floor will have a, a general meeting area and a bunch of breakout section places so that mentoring can take place. The Bible says mentoring, old and new. We want mentoring to take place. Okay. And then on each floor, you're going to see that. I want you to see how bright and beautiful everything is because God invented beauty. I want, here's what we want you to do. When you tour the building, we want you to be praying and praising God. Praying that God would bless this, the, the, the concrete, you know, the people that walk in, that their hearts would be broken like the song said, and they'd be open to God changing their whole paradigm of spiritual growth. And that prayer might be for you, and praising God for what he's doing. There's no children allowed. It's still a construction site, so if you have children, we want you to, that's why we're ending early, so you can go there unencumbered. If you're one of the children's workers for next hour, we'd love you to go first. Okay, we don't want you, you can't pick up your kids too early. Uh, you can't pick them up until 1025 this hour because they're already, they're moving around and doing their teaching stuff. And you please, by all means, don't pick them up too late. That's disrespectful for our volunteers. So I think people will be telling you when it's about 1025 and you can go and get your children then. Okay. So this is, this is my call here. Let's pray. Okay. Let's, let's pray for a great moment at Grace where we can see what God is doing in our hearts so that we might be able to invest in something that lasts forever. Ministry, souls, the purpose of life is to enjoy God fully, overflowing with his love. Let's, let's pray to that end, and then let's go enjoy what God's doing amongst us. Like we sang, Lord, when peace like a river you know, overflows, and even the sorrows and the billows roll, your soul, my soul has taught me that it is well with my soul. Lord, we are so grateful for the teachings of Jesus the Christ who made clear what has always been taught, that it's grace that transformed, that it's gift that cha- gifts of grace from you that change us. And Lord, we excitingly now go before you and we'd ask that you would help us pray intelligently and specifically as we walk through the building. That, that you would give us a vision for what could happen in the lives of children, generations to come, the missionaries and the ministers and the marriages, the health that will break out because people are confronted with the futility of religion and that they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, even this experience itself, let it be a surrendering experience for us. God, bless us. Bless our church. Help us be a voice of, of your great teachings, that, that people would be amazed, <laughs> amazed, continually amazed, awestruck with the truth that you can transform a life that is humble towards your gifts of forgiveness and the gifts of honor and innocence and power. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 